Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Monday Night Football doubleheader was not all that dramatic. Chiefs was entertaining for a while. Surprisingly defensive game. Got to give it to Bill Belichick. You don't like the hoodie. He irritates you. He cheats. He's been caught or busted. I, yeah, I get all of that. But that Kansas City offense is lighting everybody up. And it was a 6-3 to game at halftime. It was actually late into the third quarter. How Belichick pulled that off, all the exotic coverages he threw at him. You got to think that other people have this on tape, plus the other two times that his defenses have done a good job uh, playing the Chiefs and, and slowing them down, at least for stretches of a game. And yet no one else can duplicate it. It's all there on film. And there's no secrets. It's all there on film. But nobody else can duplicate it. Now, ultimately, he was undone because he doesn't have Tom Brady anymore, and he didn't have Cam Newton, and he went with Brian Hoyer, and true trips into the red zone. It could have been 17-6. to It certainly should have been 9-6. to They should have at least gotten field goals. But he took a sack at the end of the first half and then got sacked and fumbled and just hesitated too long with the ball. The ball's got to come out. You just can't. you got to throw it away, kick a field goal, live to play another day, all the cliches, blah, blah, blah. And so, of course... Hoyer gets pulled. Stidham comes in and throws a touchdown pass in the red zone. Oops. Ultimately, though, the Chiefs are better, and they got it going in the fourth quarter, and they won the game. Got a big play on defense with the the ball Edelman should have caught. It looked like he took his eyes off it to look upfield to try and make a play, and sure enough, he made a play for the Chiefs, and that was that. So the Chiefs are 4-0. Uh, not, not an awesome 4-0, but you know, 4-0 is 4-0, right? And it matters how well you're playing when you get to the playoffs. Right now, Pile up the wins, get as good a seat as you can, get that first round by, although there's only one of them uh, now as they've changed the format to put in seven teams, and just try to be healthy and playing well when you get to January. <coughs> the other game, I thought the Packers, that was a B game, B-minus game out of the Packers. It was enough. They won the game. They beat the Falcons. But from getting stopped on fourth down, running a pattern short of the goal line, clearly mistakes were made. And there were times I just thought, okay, now – they're going to go down, score touchdowns, blow this thing open. And they didn't. They got a lead, and they ran out the clock. And, you know, it's good enough, um, but it wasn't great. But I'm nitpicking among the best teams here, trying to figure out, you know, who is going to be the team. With the Seahawks, you don't really nitpick with their offense, but their defense has given up 27 points a game. Uh, Pittsburgh and Tennessee are three, sitting on 3-0 and since they unexpectedly ended up with a bye week this week. So you can kind of look around at these teams and, you know, is it the Bills? Not a lot of tradition, um, not a lot of playoff experience, uh, but they're 4-0. Maybe a little bit like the Packers, you know, not the sexiest win over the Raiders, but got it done, had the lead, and games were kind of similar in some regards. So as far as the playoff baseball, uh, Pitching and defense. Well, pitching you don't have it, and defense you don't have it. One error for the A's. Open the floodgates for a four-run inning for Houston. None of those four runs, all unearned in a 10-5 Houston win, none of those four runs were were scored on homers, which was pretty unusual because there were, what, 15, 27 runs scored in the two playoff games? That's a lot of runs. That's not really a dominant starting pitching performance by anybody. Um and then most of them coming in, uh, more than half of them coming in, maybe two-thirds of them coming in on home runs. You know, just, just play for the long ball. And it was funny, in the ninth inning, it was still tight. It was uh, 4-3 um, Yankees in the second game as they beat the Rays. And they had a chance 
A judge had a chance to blow it open, didn't get it done, and he's back in the dugout after making the out. And he's, the camera's right on him. He's just talking to himself. He's just pissed at himself for, you know, not getting the big swing and breaking the game open. And then sure enough, Stanton does and hits the grand slam to dead center. Don't let a guy that big and that strong extend his arms. That's going to be a problem. Sure enough, it was a problem. So, National League starts today, and we got an NBA game four tonight. I assume the Lakers are going to win this game. I think, uh, you know, the Heat, that was an awesome game by Butler. But uh, if the Heat aren't healthy, is Butler going to do that again? I wouldn't think so. And Anthony Davis obviously didn't score much in that game. Uh, I expect the Lakers do it. And, you know, if, if LeBron has to turn it on, you know, you can't, you can only turn it on so many times. Uh, when you you got to pace yourself in your mid-30s. But he's two games from the title. If LeBron goes out and has a Jimmy Butler-like stat line, I'm not going to be surprised. I can't guarantee he'll do it. I think he'll only do it if he has to. Um, you know, if, if the role players are hitting threes and AD has it going, uh, he's going to be a facilitator and save his energy and uh, let the other guys, as long as the other guys have it going, he's going to let them have it going. But if things come to a grinding halt, he may go for it. And if LeBron comes up big, I will not be surprised. I expect the Lakers win this and get up 3-1. All right, DJ and PK, we got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hear from the Cougars. Coming up, Tyler Algier, Kalani Sataki. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, the Zone, and the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to hear from BYU. They had their media availability Monday as they get ready for what I expect will be another blowout victory. Uh, How many points are they going to win by? I don't even want to pick a number. They're going to win by as many points as Kalani Sataki wants to win by. I think that's how it's going to work. We'll hear from Kalani in a minute, but first, Tyler Algier right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Tyler, you guys continue to put up fantastic offensive numbers. Where do you feel you guys have improved the most from – the, the win at Navy to heading into this week? I feel like hmm, I feel like in the red zone for sure in the red zone because we always wanted to get better at the red zone but even like before Navy that was our point of emphasis during fall camp so improving in the red zone and just scoring a lot of points when we have, whenever we're in the red zone I think was a big emphasis that is from fall camp to now that we're really striving for. <laughs> I know that a lot of teams and BYU is no different. You know, a lot, a lot of the the focus is more on you than on an opponent. Um, do you still feel like that's the case? That there's still room for you guys to improve? I know Kalani said he still sees lots of areas to improve. Where where do, where do you feel you guys still can improve on some pretty impressive numbers? I feel like we're there's always, 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 always room for improvement because either like just like last game, I had a couple of runs that I could have read it out differently and probably would have ended up being a touchdown just looking back at film. So either or whether it's a blocking assignments from the O-line or just reads from the quarterback or route for a receiver, there's always room for improvement that we can always get better during practice this week getting ready for the next game. We've seen you really, I think, round your game over the last couple of years. What have you worked on the most? this offseason that, that you maybe didn't have in the past? 
I really worked on my speed. My speed, everyone says that I'm like the power back or whatever, but I really just worked on my speed and just being an all-around back, I think would be a really open door for me. Really open door for me, just being flexible and all that. Are you living the dream you had when you came here as a preferred walk-on? We know you had a really big high school career down there in Fontana, but you came here, you've switched positions a couple of times. Are you living the dream you kind of envisioned for yourself? You know, just getting the scholarship was the dream now, but now dreams already got the scholarship and I'm doing good, good, doing good. So uh, might as well just go for the NFL right now and uh, get, get, the, get the bachelor's degree and then aim, aim higher. That's the new dream right now and just making my family proud and just all glory to God. And he's put me, he gave me the abilities just to do what I can right now. So, Tyler, how beneficial is it to know both sides of the ball and have that experience. A lot of you guys have gone, you know, back and forth for from offense and defense, but how beneficial is it to have those experiences and those relationships? No, it's it's nice. It's nice just having both sides just both sides, just knowledge on both sides of the ball. Cause when I was here at running back or like when I first came or whatever, like it was, there was some stuff that I was confused about and then just switching to defense that kind of filled it. And then switching back to offense, I have like a full picture of everything. And it just like benefited my knowledge of the game for sure. Hey, Tyler, how you doing? Hey, uh, coach was saying that uh, one of the things he really likes about Zach Wilson is he, he compliments. He's always, he doesn't need all the credit. He can, he can, you know, he'll give the he'll credit the offensive line or you guys. How much does it mean to have a quarterback who's he doesn't, doesn't have that ego. He just, he, he can be the player you need him to be. No, Zach Wilson's a good guy. He'll be, he'll be doing every, everything for the team. That's why he's one of our captains. And uh, he just, he just, he's just a great guy in general. He'll do everything for us, and we'll give him the credit as well as he'll give us the credit. So, yeah, that's it. Hey, uh, Tyler, I know that the whole pandemic and the COVID-19 thing has been really difficult on play, or people in your age category, 18 to 24, mm-hmm. as far as social distancing and all the precautions. Has the kind of success that you guys have had the last month, uh, the winning, has that kind of helped you guys to follow those precautions uh, more? I mean, we wanted to follow the precautions before even when the season was up in the air. So we really bought into that in the summer when, hey, we might not have a season, but if we want to have a season, we need to we need to tighten up on social distancing. We need to do all that. So we, I say we got bought in during the summer, and that I think that really trained us to be as good as we are today. So do you think that kind of when the Army game was – was postponed was that kind of like a wake-up call for some guys in the program oh, for sure yeah i would i would say yeah because like some some would uh would kind of like think like or kind of lay off lay off i guess but we would uh then just army a our games canceled and then it was just like dang a game could really get canceled so let's tighten up even more so i would say we were good but now we have to be great at social distancing and great at everything else COVID wise yeah Tyler uh, BYU's got a rich history of running backs from Fontana California one being Jamal Williams have you ever had the chance to uh, talk with Jamal and, and maybe get some pointers from him being from your hometown I have not actually personal or like talked to him in general. I haven't really known him, known him, but he came uh, about two years ago or something like that to, to train with us. And then he gave us a little pointers and he'll come to our practices and talk to us, talk to us here. So but. Who, who are some guys that uh, maybe you've modeled or not modeled, but uh, 
look up to as far as NFL running backs or college guys over the years? Because uh, we know that uh, you had a, a storied career in high school at, at the running back position. Who are some guys that you've looked up to over time? I've honestly personally watched uh, Adrian Peterson, AP, and uh, Marshawn Lynch film. Marshawn Lynch and just looked up to those guys and how they play, just the mentality that they go through in the NFL right now. All right, there's Tyler Algier. Now here's the head coach, Kalani Sataki. Uh, excited about another week. Looking forward to playing this game and, uh, you know, getting back in, in our home stadium and uh, seeing some of the things that, you know, really, really, I, I, after the game, I was really happy watching the film. Please with the, with the effort. Obviously, there's some mistakes that that need to be fixed, and looking forward to correcting them today and getting back on the field. But um, you know, just finding another way to, for us to try to be at our best. That's the focus, you know, as a team is, is to perform at our best. I felt like we've done that uh, three times, and, and looking forward to doing it fourth. Um, you know, UTSA is coming off uh, some um, injuries and some things that they have at quarterback, but you can tell they're well coached because they're able to function. I think they had uh, they went to three or four quarterbacks that they've used uh, this last you know this last game. So um, they're a really active team and and uh, physical. And looking forward to the matchup, but more than anything, looking forward to some of the things that we can do as a program and as a team to, to improve from the, this last game against La Tech to UTSA. So any questions you guys have? for me love to answer them hey coach so i mean a lot can be said maybe about utsa's strength of schedule so far but you know they're they're averaging over five yards of carries in offense they're running backs one of the top in the country uh what have you seen on film that maybe makes him and specifically their offense uh difficult to defend on the ground i think O-line, they're big O-line, and they, they use a tight end in the system so uh i think you know running back Gets, he gains a lot of yards, has good vision. So we're going to have to be on top of our game. And, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the things that we can control is us being fundamentally sound and, and learning our assignments and make sure that we keep improving on our technique. And so that's the, that's the focus. I'm not really worried about strength of schedule and all that stuff. All I care about right now and all we care about as a team is focusing on this game and making sure that we're, you know, at our best and correct some of the things that we saw that, that we can improve on and play tough football. That's what we're, that's what we're going to plan on trying to do on Saturday. Yeah, Kalani, uh, what value is there for, for your program when your team is in the national conversation of college football like they are right now? Well, I'm not really worried about that. Just trying to, like I said before, just trying to focus on uh, getting done this week and, and, and getting things accomplished, you know, and, and improving as a team. I've uh, asked the players not to worry about that, not to look at the uh, – you know, the, all the media attention that we get, we, we don't worry about it before the season. Why worry about it during? And so trying to keep our team focused. We have a, a good mature group, a veteran group. So we're looking forward to these guys leading the way. And, and I'm excited to see how we, you know, go into the game four and and, and um, how we improve as a team. So that's the focus, not really focused on anything else but that. Just trying to stay humble as a team and, and stay hungry and, on things that we need to accomplish. We have a lot to prove still. You mentioned in the past how your rosters has a ton of experience, but how much of the success to this point do you credit to you and the coaching staff going through a lot together and having a lot of continuity experience as well? Yeah, I think that that helps. I mean, having the the same system on offense and and on defense be in place, and and you know, even though we may change some things up here and there, it, it's the uh, having the the foundation, the roots of everything be established is, is a big key. Um, but you know, I, I think the, when I talk about experiences, it's it's nice. I, I look at this last 
a game against La Tech, the, the, the last two drives for the defense were really important for us as a program. Um, not because we gave up a touchdown on a long 17 play drive, but because some of the things that we, we messed up in that, in that drive. I mean, you have to give La Tech credit for scoring that touchdown and getting, getting down and, and sustaining that drive. But uh, we didn't help ourselves in some of those plays. And, and it was a lot of guys that I thought could perform better. And, you know, in the next drive, they were able to come out and force a turnover and, and uh, end the game. So that stuff matters. And, and, and that's going to be valuable for us as a, as a program when we get into those situations and then learn from it. I, I really don't care about stats other than winning the game. And all I care about second after that, after winning the game, is getting our guys experience um, on the field because a lot of these guys are one play away from being on there and now one test away from being on the field. And that, that needs to matter the most. And as I think we've probably on defense coached the most in that time because we know how important it is for those guys to improve. Kalani, you've been part of this business for a long time, and you know it's a performance-based business. You guys invested a lot in a lot of young players you know, in the last few years. How nice is it to see some of that payoff and, and the guys being able to have that cohesion and, and the success level they're having so far this year? I think everybody, the standard is everyone judges it on performance base and wins, but that's not my whole focus. My entire focus is, is being part of these young men's lives and, and, uh, you know, being there to help them achieve their dreams. And that's, that's the focus of our coaches and our, and our staff here. And that's uh, understanding what they stand for and, and what they're playing for being a part of something bigger than themselves in this program. And so, um, it's just been nice to see them, uh, you know, take advantage of that and and uh, have it all work out together. I think when guys feel comfortable and feel confident in what they're doing and what, and what they're representing, I think it'll go a long way. And, and you can see you can see the result being a positive thing for us. But that's my main focus. Isn't we want to win games stat wise and everything, but the, you know the 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 individual matters to me and, and the progress that they're making in all, in all phases of their life matters to me the most. Hey, Kalani, you're obviously putting together a pretty special season. Has that success and that winning contributed to the players uh, maybe doing everything they can in a, in a, to avoid COVID, to, uh, to do all the social distancing, all those measures? Has that kind of gone hand in hand? Yeah, I don't know if you could you could limit it to one thing, but there's a there's a collection of of things that have helped us, and I, th- I think um, maybe the COVID test. If I'm going to ask uh, answer your question, Jay, looking at specifically, I don't think it could hurt. You know, having them focus completely on school—that a lot of it's online—and football, and so uh, not really focus on the social part of it. And and I think that you know that's what these guys are built around, anyways. They want they want to get to the season and perform the best, but maybe it keeps them a little bit more extra focused. And I'm okay with that. But I think there's a lot of uh, factors and variables that go into the success that we're seeing as a team, and and one of it could be that uh, I think the the major contributors that we have have really good leaders on this team and guys that are owning the program. Last week, you said they were handling it really well. Do you feel still feel that way? And are you still testing three times a week pretty much? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have to say, I mean, without getting to the specifics, the, the last two weeks we've had uh, great um, results in our testing and and, and uh, lower numbers than we've ever seen. So if we keep trending that way, I think that will help us out, not only keep our guys on the field, but, uh, you know, trying to minimize the, the spread 
And you know, on this football team and in the program, even the support staff, we've seen the numbers really trend our way. Um, specifically, the last two weeks have been very favorable for us. So they're, they're better than the weeks before that. So without getting to the specifics, I could just say the last two weeks have been better than any time that we've been testing. So that's a good sign. Any word yet on whether fans will be allowed Saturday? I don't know. That's that's for Tom. But I, I mean, I would like to see our fans there. You know, I think it'd be fun to have the, the players, families, and, and and fans represent. You've seen a lot, lot, in, in a lot of different areas. But our guys are used to. If if not, we'll we'll have to just keep doing what we don't doing. I mean, we have, we've had three games now with no fans, and, and we just got to keep the passion, and the excitement going, and and hopefully the, the fans can help feed to that but uh we're not going to be worried about that we're not going to be worried about fans on in the stands we're not going to be worried about anything other than focused on utsa and trying to do everything we can to, to you know get competitive advantage during the week of pre- preparation practice and then uh, hopefully things go our way when we match up against utsa on saturday they uh you know we, they have all of our respect we've watched tons of film they've they've won games and, and they had a close one last week you know and very close to being undefeated coming into our house and so we have a lot of respect for them and, and all our focus needs to be just completely on this team in this week kalana you mentioned uh how there are still things for you to work on what specifics are you guys focusing on right now that, that you still think there's room for improvement right now? You can always improve on the, the fundamentals of the game. I mean, that, that long um, first scoring drive that they had um, on the, on, I think smoke Harris made it great. I mean, he's, he's a great player, especially in space, but uh, we didn't help ourselves by ankles and, and, and poor tackling, you know, this is not, not the way that we tackle. And then on that one play, we saw a lot of guys panic and, and uh, get stressed out and take bad angles. And that's the fundamental part of the game, but um, that that's not indicative of who we are as a program and who we are as a defense. So we need to fix that, you know, and, and uh, we need to tackle more and practice and need to do things to, to shore up that, that uh, they don't develop bad habits. And so we do everything we can to make sure that fundamentally we're sound in this game and that our technique, we can still, focus on it's not about schemes it's about the simple things that really matter the most pad level you saw you know um us be in bad position a couple times which which cost us you know some discipline issues i mean i I don't think we've had big time problems with the discipline but in this game we we jumped off sides and it cost us an interception you know and so there's just little things like that we had a couple holding calls that that cost us yards and cost us possible points and those cannot happen and and really it's just body position when talking about blocking tackling running to the ball taking good angles and body position that's what i'm focused on right now as a, as a team and things that we could really focus on improving you had mentioned earlier that you know you, you don't want to focus on the attention that's you're focusing on the game and that's it is there somewhat though of a balancing act because all of the attention that you're getting is all positive for the program and it helps promote the program. How do you balance that with not wanting the guys to buy in, but also still want the promotion of the program? We don't need to talk about ourselves. Let everybody else do it, whether it's positive or negative, let everyone else talk about it. We got to get things done. And, 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 and I'm, asking our players not to worry about what's being said out there. There's positive and negative things being said. Just focus on this game and focus on getting better. And that's all That's all I care about. I mean, that's there's no balance. The balance is you guys keep it balanced on what you say, you know, and we just focus on what we're trying to get done. Not saying that we don't listen to you guys. We appreciate what you guys do for promoting BYU football, but uh, 
we're focused on the game. We're not focused on reading stuff about the past things that we've done. Uh, all I care about is, you know, when you talk to Zach, you, I just talked to him walking through the hallways. He's, he's already moved on to the next game. Stop patting him on the back. We, we get enough, enough of that already. We, we celebrate and dance in the locker room after we win. After we leave, it's, it's back to business. Grade the film and get better. Aaron Roderick made some comments to Yahoo Sports saying that the success you guys are having on offense right now is due in part to you guys going all in on these young players three years ago when him and Jeff Grimes showed up here. They said they ran that by you. They kind of sold you on it. Do you agree with that assessment from A-Rod? I, I agree with playing the best players. I don't care if they're freshmen. I don't care about anything else. If they serve it in competition, I don't know any other way than to reward the guys that have worked the hardest and have prepared the best. And in the competition at practice, uh, you know, rewarding the guys that deserve it. So it just happened that we had a lot of young guys that, that deserve to play and uh, we're comfortable making that change. And, and what it did is spark the other guys to get better themselves. And so that's always going to be the deal here. We have a lot of freshmen that come in, they're ready to play and guys coming off missions that are hungry to play and our depth chart will move and, and we'll, we'll shape it according to whatever, uh, whoever's got the hot hand, whoever's got the, the, you know, whoever's winning the competition. So as we speak now, there's guys still competing for playing time on Saturday and they need to get, they need to establish and confirm what we think or change our minds in the next, uh, you know, next week before we get to Saturday's competition. UTSA. So that, yeah, that's, I think, I think committing to playing the best players and and the fact that they happen to be young, yeah, that's a huge. That, but it's it's what we do as a coaching staff. We're going to play the best guys. UTSA has played three different quarterbacks. How tough is it to prepare for an opponent when you could see any of the three? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I we we'll have to see what what, what they. Um, how, who's going to take the snaps, you know, uh, but I think we have to prepare for all of them. They're, they're, they all have their own unique skill skill set, but I think as an offense, they, they want to establish the run game. They have a really good back, big old line, big tight end, uh, big tight ends that can block. And so um, really for us, it's, I think trying to get them to, to not be as balanced as they are would be, would be the challenge, you know, and trying to minimize the run game and, and trying to establish our presence up front is going to be the key, but um, you have to give them a lot of credit. I think I think well coached team, and, and you can see some of these they got they got momentum. I think last week if if they had their quarterbacks, um, and you know you, when you you don't I think the, the starter was out before the game, and then their backup went in and got hurt in the first play. Correct. And that's you just don't prepare for any of that stuff. But we've been there, you know, and, and we've seen that. But I think having the way that they're able to rally and still be competitive and have a chance to win the game, I think it came down to them getting the ball back at the end, but they roughed the punter. It shows you their aggressiveness on trying to win the game. So well-coached team, aggressive team, and looking forward to the matchup. I think they'll, they'll come in ready and they'll give us their best shot. We just need to make sure that we give them ours. Hey, Coach, how you doing? Been good, Pat. Hey, uh, so sorry. I know you asked not to pat uh, Zach on the back too much, but a lot of people are turn- <laughs> tuning in for the first time and seeing him play. You see him all the time. I just want to know, what do you like about his game? What makes him kind of a special quarterback? Uh, I mentioned his work ethic, but, you know, the, the kid's a perfectionist, and, and I think he enjoys the game. He loves playing football, and, and he's willing to do make a lot of sacrifices for that. So uh, that usually will give you a good result you know and and 
I like the fact that he's leading our team and complimenting everybody because he understands it's not just him. You you hear him talk about how wonderful the protection has been up front, how the the run game has been really good to compliment him throwing the ball and um, the receivers running the right routes and and, and coming down with with the ball and making great catches. So uh, I love the fact that he's leading the team. He's been voted captain and he's doing a great job being a good example of how hard to work. But I like the fact that he's including everybody in the success of what what we're doing so um really pleased with him just looking forward to him moving on to the next one and you know we're back to work you know we forgot about last week and now i just need to move on and make sure that we stay consistent as a team well said thank you very much Hi, Kalani. a lot of positives happening with you guys obviously high scoring games and uh in your opinion Easy question. What is it that you like most about your team? I like I like the closeness that they have. I, I, I just, you could tell they love each other, and um, you know, there's moments where where you see how they react to certain players making plays, and when even when the game seems like it's it's uh, under control, you see the excitement and the energy on the sideline, and the players just they're so they're so invested in each other and seeing each other have success, you know, and that's um, when you have some of the backup players in, and I turn around and look, and all the starters are up, jumping around and, and cheering them on. Um, that's 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 something special, and that's a huge credit to our leadership. And I just love I love the way these guys are, are taking care of each other, and the way that they work together. But more importantly, the way they love each other. There's BYU head coach Kalani Sitaki with Texas San Antonio coming in for a Saturday afternoon game. They get a Saturday day game. That's nice. All right, when we come back, uh, Bill Conley, national college football writer. PK and I talked to him about how he sees the Cougars, the Pac-12, the playoffs, all of that. Next, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We're joined now by Bill Conley, National College football writer for ESPN. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Bill, good morning. How are you doing? Good. We have been been thrashing about trying to answer the question, how good is BYU? (laughs) You've probably heard that a time or two yourself. How good is BYU? A couple... Uh, you know, I, I mean, from what we've seen through three games, tremendous. I know there's the, you know, this is college football, so the ain't played nobody question is always out there. And, I mean, certainly, you know, using my SP Plus rankings, I haven't played a top 70 team yet. So, I mean, there is that disclaimer. But Troy's pretty good. Um, I, what we saw elsewhere, and they won by 41. They've, they've manhandled everybody, basically. And, and if you use something like my rankings or the spread as a, Bar usually teams that exceed that overachieve against that bar this dramatically through the game usually keep it up. 
That's that's what I think too. You know, the, the competition there is something that is. I don't know if it's a sticking point, but it's a factor. But I think when you look deeper, you see that BYU the last couple of years played a ton of players that are now in their third year with their coaches together. The offensive staff mm-hmm. has been good, and there have been consistency in the program. Is that or how much of that are you factoring in when you say that they're pretty good? Well, I mean, I think, you know, at the beginning of the year, I think it was right after uh, week one when BYU stomped Navy, I looked at, you know, all offseason we were talking about, you know, in this weird, like the weirdest offseason ever, uh, not a lot of practices. If, you're, if you've got a new coach, that lack of continuity might hurt even more than normal. Um, so I looked at the opposite. I looked at the teams with heavy continuity, with a returning starting quarterback and a head coach at least in, in his third year, coordinators at least in their second year. Um, and, you know, out of the gates, kind of seemed, well, I mean, number one, BYU was obviously on that list, but then, um, you know, even beyond that, it kind of seemed like a lot of the teams we were kind of curious about are playing well so far. Florida is on that list, for instance, and they're looking really good, especially offensively with their uh, with their high-continuity offensive coordinator and, and second-year starting quarterback and everything. So, you know, it is still very early, and, and at any point – uh, this could flip around, obviously, but um, again, like the sustainability, it, it's not a fluke that they're beating these teams this badly. The sustainability appears to be there right now. So I've thought for a long time that the elite teams in the group of five are certainly comparable to the middle of the power five. Oh, yeah. And then on any given team and given year, they, they can be better than that. You know, they can, yeah. they can compete. We see it in New Year's Six Bowls. So I'm curious because we don't – we follow the group of five teams in the Mountain West, obviously, because they're here. And you can't help but see some stuff about the AAC. But when you start playing the Sun Belt and Conference USA and nobody here is really following those leagues. Are the are these teams any good? Do they have many NFL players on them? Because Billy has beaten a couple of them, and they're about to play a couple more of them. It's like, are there any? You said there's nobody top seventy. Is there anybody about to be top seventy? Is Houston going to be that? They're AC, but they're coming off a four win season. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, generally speaking, to your first point, um, I mean, the top 10 or 15 teams in the, in the group of five as a whole would easily be at least middle of the pack in, in a given power conference. They're in that number 20 to 50 kind of range with a lot of, like, with the old Miss types and the, um, you know, Michigan States and whatnot. So it would be very competitive, obviously. Um, but, you know, BYU's schedule – well, I mean, it could be better, but like Western Kentucky, I thought was going to be pretty good this year. They haven't really shown it yet, and currently in my rankings, they're 69th. Houston is 60th. Boise State's 36th. Um, San Diego State's 77th, and they could teams like Western Kentucky or or San Diego State or Houston could turn out to be better than where they're at right now. But um, I mean, it's <laughs> the other part of this is that if this becomes a conversation in a playoff, for instance, if you know the uh, the Georgias and Floridas and whatnot, then enough teams lose to where you could conceivably look at BYU as a candidate for the number four spot, even if Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State end up untouchable or whatever. I would hope that the schedule is not held that much far against them because it's not their fault they're playing these teams. They have like five P5 teams scheduled. So, 
you know, yes, the strength of schedule is just going to be bad. Like, the best win they're going to probably have if they finish undefeated is Boise State, which would be a top 30 or 40 win, but it would only be one of them. But this isn't their fault. They're, you know, they had a piece of schedule together in August, and they're dominating it right now. So, Bill, a lot of BYU fans listen to us. We've been doing this show for almost 19 years now in this market, and I can tell you, you just caused many heart palpitations (laughs) when you mentioned BYU and playoff. Expound on that. Give them a full heart attack. Well, I mean, it's funny because, you know, back before the Big Ten and Pac-12 announced they were returning, we were looking at, you know, accidental inclusion, we'll call it. The college football playoff clearly isn't very good at even – batting an eye at the G5 uh, in general, but they were almost going to have to there for a bit. And, of course, then the Pac-12 and uh, Big Ten return, and that made it muddier. But, I mean, look, if the Pac-12 doesn't produce an unbeaten team, I doubt they, depending on the field, I doubt they, they have a great, great chance of a 6-1 and one team getting in because we already know this debate that's happening with, you know, can you play that few games and really be considered? We know that's a thing. I think if they're unbeaten, they'll get a, a champion in. But otherwise, I think it's questionable. Big 12 has just about eliminated itself. Um, the Big 10 and SEC are probably in pretty good shape here. With you know, if Alabama is amazing, and you know, Georgia, Florida, as long as they end up with one loss or maybe two, they're probably in good shape. Same with the Big 10, with like a Penn State or Wisconsin. But I mean, the field could clear itself up, and, and it will have to for BYU to be considered because of the schedule, whether that's fair or not. But if they continue to win games by forty points on average, uh, and all these other teams lose two or three games, which is conceivable against really hard SEC type schedules, then I mean, this is <laughs> let's put it this way: this is the best possible year for you to have a dominant team against a weak schedule because it might get you a little further up the ladder than normal. Bill Conley joining us. He's a national college football writer for ESPN. We've seen guys opting out, and I have two questions about opting out. One, is this going to become the new norm when a guy's a first-round draft pick? He's thinking, why should I risk a college football season when I know I'm going to get picked on the first day of the NFL draft? There's that, and then there's also how much are all these opt-outs going to hurt Oregon, and who's really the favorite in the Pac-12? Yeah, Oregon has certainly been hit pretty hard, and um, and and you know the secondary especially. They already had the quarterback situation, or a new quarterback, I should say. But in terms of the the units where continuity can help or hurt you the most, uh, the defensive backfield is right up there with quarterback and the receiving core. So that is going to hurt them a little bit. We'll see if it matters. I mean, Washington, we don't quite know enough about yet. Uh, you know, Cal, I don't really trust uh, offensively, especially. Uh, so it might not hurt them. They might still be the favorite in the North, but you do figure if USC's defense can improve. And, and you know, we start going down the if road with USC. We, we end up, you know, making bad predictions a lot of the time, but we know their offense is going to be awesome. And if the defense is merely good, then they're probably the Pac-12 favorite at that point. But to your point about opt-outs in general, I don't. Well, I mean, I think there are only a few key players per year that can head into the, head into the season knowing they're going to be first rounders. And a lot of those guys are going to, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them are just going to love playing college football and, and being in college, and they want to enjoy it one last time. So they're going to keep playing. Maybe one or two guys uh, get, you know, start to think about this in a given year. I think what it does, though, is it normalizes the idea of opting out of the bowl game. We've already seen that increase in recent years, and I think that part will, will almost certainly continue to grow. So... 
to connect it to BYU if the Big 12, as you say, is just about eliminated itself. Oklahoma State gets a loss and everybody will have a loss. And the Pac-12, in all nine years now, I realize they've been playing nine, not just seven, but nobody's gone undefeated. Mm. They all have at least one blemish. So if those two situations occur, how imperative is it for BYU, if it wants to gain any traction in the conversation, to almost have it be mandatory that they beat teams by 35, 40 points? Yeah. Yeah, it's, they're going to have to run up the scores. I don't think there's any question about that. That's not something you normally encourage. But if BYU gets really high up the list, it's going to be because they were continuing to look like they did against Navy, continuing to look like they did against Troy and most of the Louisiana Tech game. It's going to require that. And Boise State's kind of the one freebie there. Like, if they just beat, if they just win at Boise State and Boise State goes on to, you know, do as well in the Mountain West as we can probably assume they will, then that's fine. But, yeah, the other games uh, against the top 60, 70 teams, they're going to have to to absolutely roll. Maybe you get one mulligan in there. Maybe you only beat Houston by 10 or something like that. But it is, I mean, again, it, they're not going to include anybody outside of the P5 unless they absolutely have to. And, and BYU's got to have to continue to put on an absolute show here moving forward. So the average score is f- roughly 49 to 8. And they yeah. have taken their foot off the gas. I mean, there have been kneel yeah. downs and second string player quarterback, but other positions to win. So, but you can take your foot off the gas once you won by forty, right? You're not getting. Right, you don't exactly. need to do more than that. Right. Yeah. You can take the second stringers out, or you can take the first stringers out if you're if you're up by that much. But it does have to be like you have to make a point every single game. You have to prove a point, basically. So we could potentially have 1984 revisited with Brian Gummel and Barry Switzer and Bo Diddley Tech. How fun would that be? I, I mean, it makes sense that it would be BYU uh, in, the, in the strangest year of all time here, uh, that it would be BYU revisiting history and, and making things strange again. So is ESPN going to get, you know, Brian Gumbel to, you know, the older Brian Gumbel to say Bo Diddley Tech into a camera so they can put it next to the younger Brian Gumbel? I mean, I can see a little uh, one of those little pregame 30-second hype pieces to set the stage. I mean, give Gene Wojciechowski enough time. That seems right up his alley. It's a, a fun piece about that. So I'll plant the seed. All right, plant the seed. When it happens, I want to take full credit for it. <laughs> How much do you think of Larry Scott making the proposition to expand the playoffs is for job preservation as opposed to having a legitimate point? Well, I, I, I think it can be both. Let's put it that way. I do think, um, I mean, he, he's all, he should be all about job preservation right now, but it's also a point that a lot of people have been making recently that we're going to know even less about these teams now than we do in a given year, and we already deal with the smallest uh, you know, sample size of any major sport, uh, sport, pro or college. So it would make sense that in a given year where some of the teams being considered for the national title are going to end up playing seven games, that you expand the field a little bit just to make sure you get uh, everybody worthy into the pool, so to speak. But I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, if we, if we expand to eight this year and it goes well, and it would, then um, I would absolutely be among the many, many people saying, let's just do this all the time. I mean, I, I know that they're worried about that slippery slope. And I think being that we all know we're going to get there eventually, it's, it's just kind of a silly time-wasting exercise here not doing it. But, I mean, it, it makes more – it always makes sense, and it makes even more sense this year to think that way, even if it comes from a guy who is absolutely trying to save his job. 
but so much of the discussion just comes down to power and control, and you can't tell us what to do, and we'll do it when we want to do it, and yeah, you want to do it. Yeah, having I'm, Larry Scott be the guy uh, cheerleading it was not going to help the cause. Right, sure. yeah, right. Nobody wants to tell the SEC what to do, but there is a little bit of <laughs> irony building here, and it's got to, the, the scores have to build out to make it happen, but, but the scores could play out this way. You know, for years, the leagues that play eight games get in the 14 playoff, and the leagues that play nine, well, one of those leagues is a league that has to be left out, unless two of them are, right? And so now, all of a sudden, you're going to have the Pac-12 playing seven games, and you're going to have the SEC and the ACC playing ten. Now, maybe Clemson's so much better than the ACC, it just doesn't matter. That, I believe. But is there any chance that the SEC beats itself up? Maybe not as quickly as the Big 12. That's Congratulations, Big 12. That's very impressive. But is the SEC going to do this? Is the SEC going to be arguing, oh, we had to play more conference games? Because if I hear that out of the pie hole of one SEC person, I'm not going to be alone in thinking it's hilarious. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, there's the irony potential here is, is extremely high for that exact reason. Because, I mean, there will be, I mean, if an SEC person says it, they'll at least ignoring history, they'll at least have a point because, um, like, Georgia would have to play Alabama twice, mm-hmm. not to mention Florida and everybody else. Like, the, the schedules among the top teams are going to be really hard, and a really, really good team might finish 9-2 and two or 8-3. and three. So they would have a point. It's just, as you said, the, the role reversal here is funny. There, there, somebody, uh, a friend of mine on Twitter uh, a few weeks ago, also pointed out that we could have a scenario where Notre Dame is arguing against BYU's uh, uh, inclusion because Notre Dame had to play in a conference title game and they did. So that's another that's another high irony uh, scenario on the table. It's not quite as likely. Yeah, with that Notre Dame situation this year, I suppose they do do very well and only have one loss. Would we see two ACC teams in then? Well, I think that's kind of what we're looking at. Like, I mean, it's fun talking about BYU, but we do the second place team in the SEC, ACC, and and. Um, Big Ten are all going to have decent cases to make just in terms of the runner-ups probably going to be really good. Like Notre Dame's the borderline top five team right now. And so if they win out but only lose to Clemson, I, well, I guess since they play Clemson, they would probably have to split with Clemson uh, one of the two games with them to get in, which honestly at that point probably makes them worthy. But there are some high caliber. The bottom half of the ACC is still pretty sketchy as a whole. But I think between Notre Dame and Miami and North Carolina and maybe Virginia Tech, if they can ever kid all their guys on the field, the, the potential for a very high caliber number two ACC team is certainly higher this year than it's been in recent years. And obviously Notre Dame being in the ACC certainly helps that. Bill Conley joining us, National College football writer for ESPN. I'm planning on watching Oklahoma, Texas, because I figure it's first team to 50, because uh, nobody's going to tackle yeah. anybody in that game. It's just going to be two-hand touch, and it's going to be outrageous. Uh, <laughs> given all the problems across the Big 12, could Oklahoma State go undefeated and win that league? Um, they could. They seem to be actually playing defense this year. Um, I mean, they haven't played great defenses or offenses yet, but they are certainly dominating bad offenses, which will get you pretty far. Uh, and that's a good sign if the offense comes around. The offense has to come around, though. I mean, obviously, you know, not having Spencer Sanders in there, he's been at practice, so maybe he's healthy enough. Illingworth is fine, um, especially for a freshman, but I don't think he's a go-undefeated-in-the-Big-12 quarterback. You're going to need a little more upside there, even when you've got what they've got at, at the skill position. So that's kind of where we're at. It's funny. It's a funny place to be for OSU. If their offense improves, they could go undefeated. But I think that's kind of where we're at at the moment. 
Well, Bill, we appreciate a few minutes to talk a little BYU and a little uh, Pac-12. We'll keep reading you, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bill Conley, National College Football Writer for ESPN. Join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, what is trending? All the headlines. Two Monday Night Football games, two baseball playoff games, all the news of the day next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.